Hey, .NET Rocks listeners. So you never went to NDC. I get that. It's Norway. It's Oslo. But did you know that the videos for all the sessions are online? Yeah, go to vimeo.com slash NDC Oslo. You'll see some amazing sessions, and they're all right there. And if you're really curious, you can check out the lineup for NDC 2014, which is happening June 2nd through 6th. NDCOslo.com is the website, but again, if you want to check out the videos, vimeo.com, that's V-I-M-E-O dot com slash NDC Oslo. Richard and I will be there this year. Maybe we'll see you too. .NET Rocks, episode 989, with guest Sean Wildermuth. Recorded Wednesday, May 14th, 2014. Hey, 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 it's Carl and Richard, .NET Rocks time again. What's up, my friend? I love a Thursday show. Me too. We're in a good mood today. We're going to have some fun. It's always fun when Sean comes on. Uh, well, it's, it's fun to talk to your friends. That's the truth. It certainly is. And uh, it's also fun to take a break from, you know, looking for serious things for a better know framework and have a little fun. So, Uh-oh. What do you got? <laughs> Roll the music and I'll tell you. On the edge of my seat, sir. Tell me, tell me, tell me. Go to tinyurl.com slash best comments ever. This is Uh-oh. a Stack Overflow thread that they closed after 528 answers to the question, what is the best comment in source code you have ever encountered? <laughs> yeah. I like this and, one. And you can see that the, <clears throat> the administrators were trying to keep this under control, like locked out, closed is not constructive. <laughs> it's like, but it's popular. This one is genius. The guy says, this one seems to stop morons from messing with my code. And the comment is auto-generated. Do not edit. All changes will be undone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can I read the number one one? Because yeah. it's brilliant. Yeah. For the brave souls who get this far, you are the chosen ones, the valiant knights of programming who toil away without rest, fixing our most awful code. <laughs> to you, true saviors, kings of men, I say this. Never going to give you up. <laughs> never going to let you down. Never going to run around and desert you. Never going to make you cry. Never going to say goodbye. Never going to tell a lie and hurt you. Oh, man. That's awesome. <laughs> How about this one? Uh, Drunk, fix later. (laughs) (laughs) Or magic, do not touch. (laughs) When I wrote this, only God and I understood what this was doing. Now only God knows. (laughs) Here's one right under the code. uh, Pound sign, define, true, false. Happy debugging, (laughs) suckers. (laughs) Oh, man. Or this simple comment, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes I believe the compiler ignores all my comments. Yeah, yeah. How about this for the definition of John, which is a long, so it's long space John semicolon comment silver. (laughs) 
<laughs> or inside of an exception handler, catch, exception E, curly brace, comment, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wonderful. Uh, all right, you can read these all day. We better get to work. Uh, yeah, uh, I, uh, one more, one more. Inside of a finally at the end of a try, right? Try, catch, finally. And the, in the finally, should never happen. oh Oh, man i know mere mortals are listening to us going what the hell are they talking about why is this funny okay that's all i got who's talking to us hey i grabbed another comment off of show 980 that's the one we did with john sonnez talking about career leadership oh just one comment because there were hundreds it has stirred up a hornet's nest, hasn't it, of really positive commentary. And and kudos to John Somnus for responding to, I think, everything. Yeah, he's, he's just been he's been super agree. engaged. I, I agree. Um, this particular comment comes from Delmania, who says, I want to thank John for coming on the show and participating in what I consider a timely discussion. The reintroduction of the Pomodoro technique is invaluable. I had practiced it at a previous job. I got off the wagon, but John's comments prompted me to reintegrate it back into my daily life as a way to improve my concentration, focus, and productivity. And to answer John's questions, what I want from my career are security and freedom. Security from the perspective of knowing that I continually generate enough income to ensure the safety and comfort of my family and knowing that I have a buffer from the ebbs and flows of the software world. Mm. Freedom, though, is more important, as one of the reasons I'm always discontent in my jobs is that I can't spend my time doing the type of work I'd like to do. I realize not everything in the work world is fun or interesting, but I'd like to think that my work could be more interesting and engaging than tedious, which is not always the case. The freedom for me to spend my time on projects that I find interesting is what I really want from my career, and freedom to work on what I want, when I want, and where I want, and not have to be concerned about the political machinations that are so rampant in the corporate world. This is so appealing to me that I spend less time reading and listening on how to build my own career and more time trying to do it. And with that, I think I'm off to update my blog. Thanks, John. You've been an inspiration to me. Awesome. And a really, yeah, interesting point. You know, what I what I appreciate about what Delmania said here is not so much freedom as that I want to be self-employed even, but just, hey, let me work on my work as well. I mean, there's always going to be – the funny part is we, we're all self-employed on this show, mm. you know, including Sean. And we all – you still deal with political machinations. It's just instead of calling them your boss, you call them their, your customers – you know, that that stuff never seems to go away. Right. Anyway, Delmania, thanks so much for your comment. Uh, very inspirational. Glad you're having a good time. It was We're pretty excited about that show as well. And a .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug. Write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or on any of our mobile apps. We make them for Android, Windows Phone 7 and 8, iOS, and Windows 8. And those apps were built by Diatom Enterprises. We'd love to build you an app. Just go to DiatomEnterprises.com. And that brings us to Sean. Sean Wildermuth is a 12-time Microsoft MVP for ASP.NET and IIS, the author of eight books and dozens of articles on software development, and a Pluralsight author with 15 courses to his name. He's one of the Wilder Minds at wilderminds.com and can be reached at his blog, wildermuth.com. That's W-I-L-D-E-R-M-U-T-H.com. Welcome back, Sean. Thank you so much. 
Um, I'm excited. I'm we always excited to-, to talk to you. You're awesome, man. Uh, and the reason that we had you on is because I went, I was looking on Pluralsight and I found what I thought was a pretty unassuming and unsuspecting uh, success for you, which is this uh, course on code reviews and what you learned from code reviews. Did you think it was going to be as popular as, as it as it is? I didn't, in fact. It's a kind of a short course, and, uh, you know, I've been doing code reviews for companies for I don't know how many years, and and I started uh, thinking about the things that are common amongst most of them. I started, you know, kind of comparing one company to the other, and I was like, you know, I'm teaching the same thing over and over again to individual companies. This might make a good course. Yeah. So these are things that you have learned from reviewing other people's code. Yeah, well, one of the things that I get called in on quite a lot is to take a look at a code base and sort of give some opinions about uh, lessons that can be learned, not not to try to find or locate bugs, you know, in specific small pieces of code, but what mistakes are companies making over and over and over again, and and, and you know, as as a learning opportunity for making the developers and the culture better, and that. Uh, I, I find that uh, there's a bunch of really common things, even down to like little C sharp things, but also some larger architecture um, architectural issues. What's the biggest, most heinous mistake? It's funny because it's uh, uh, it's almost always this over engineering thing. I used to call it the "I want to be an architect" syndrome, and that is where you uh, have some really bright guy who, you know, is a, a mid-level developer, maybe even a senior developer, and he wants to be have the title of architect. And so he goes in and over-engineers everything to death. Right. He applies every pattern to every solution, right? Yeah. And, the, you know, you look at the, the class hierarchy, and it's 34 classes deep because he's has an abstraction layer for everything. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I also, you know, they're proud as hell of it, too. Absolutely. But they can't wait to show you. Yeah. Are you of the mind that you you add a layer of abstraction when you need the layer of abstraction? And only when you need it. Yeah. It it's an interesting thing that's happened in the last maybe 15 years. You know, when I was doing when I was sort of a mid-level developer and I was doing C++ back years ago, every line of code was pretty expensive because the debugging and managing the memory and all of that, you had to really be careful about. You had to um, think about it. You had to plan for it. And in, in some ways, even Waterfall worked well because we didn't have the tools to really do Agile well. So what happened is that as managed code, you know, Java, C Sharp, and other languages came in, uh, the line of code became cheaper to fix. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of refactoring and building only what you need and minimal viable product and all of that is really where we're at. When I go into organizations that are building relatively straightforward applications and they've built these behemoths of oh we want to make sure that if this small thing changes that you know we can recover from this change and i'm like you you think this is protecting you but it's only obfuscating your code yeah and so is that a yagni scenario you ain't gonna need it <laughs> in almost every case you know in, in almost every code base there's some there's some of that and so you know sometimes it's it's really good but sometimes you know um, the 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 phrase I hate to hear when you know, they're sort of giving me the tour is well this is our our database abstraction layer so that if we change database vendors we'll simply be able to just swap this out right. and I'm like <laughs> and it, instead of work. using like a provider it's never going to work yeah right so yeah. It, it's a double whammy isn't it? a you're never going to do this and b if you ever do it isn't going to work hmm. nope 
it just doesn't work. I know you've given a lot of thought that, you know, the sequel and Oracle are identical in this way, but it, no, you're, you, and you have bigger problems of tuning and stored procs if you're using stored procs and all this other stuff that it's going to be way more painful than the, than the one class you think is going to fix it all. Mm. <laughs> what is the oh, uh, not invented here syndrome? Does that come close to what you're talking about? Uh, in some ways, it's sort of a different problem. The not invented here is I don't trust, you know, the framework or a third-party library to do this. Our problem is so special that I'm going to put together a team of three guys to reinvent, you know, encryption. Right. Or, ah. You know what I mean? That, you know, I don't trust the, the uh, you know, standard libraries. Or, you know, our... our um, text boxes are so special that I'm going to write my own derivation to the standard right. text box. And then those guys go away and work for another company and you're really screwed. Completely screwed. Yeah. Completely screwed. I went to one company back in the XAML days and they had, um, actually, no, this was in the WinForm days and they had a sub every single control so that they could have, you know, so they could make changes if they ever needed to. So, of wow. course, the drag-and-drop experience was awful because they had to then include all this design time stuff in every one of their subclass controls because uh, they thought it was bringing them safety and protection and was mm. just causing them pain. Okay. Yeah, it's just introducing unnecessary complexity and bucket loads of it. Bucket loads, bucket loads. Is there a way to measure that overhead? You know, I just love the idea of here's how much more complex your code is for this thing you may or may not ever use. I don't know that there's a good measure for it. It's usually really obvious if you get a tour of what the application does, and then you right. look at the sheer size of the code base. And mm-hmm. when you look at the two and you go, these are not, you know, in relation to each other at all. And And invariably, you know, when you start looking at it, you know, speed is affected, certainly memory footprints affected, all these things yeah. that, you know, in some ways we can throw hardware at to fix, uh, doesn't mean that you have to throw hardware at it to fix, right? Mm-hmm. Well, and I've always made a living as a performance tuning guy, so I can't tell you how many times I've been brought into a project that's like, we'd like you to make this faster. And then you look at the code and it's decorated with these things that were all anticipation of possible changes that nobody's ever actually done. And like, yeah, the fastest way for us to make this go faster is to take all this crap out of it. Oh, no, no. Leave it all in, but make it go faster. (laughs) Magically. Yes. Oh, I've got a button. I'm just going to push this. Things will go faster. (laughs) That's funny. So uh, what are some of the other very common mistakes architecturally that that, uh, companies make? Um, I I like that... uh, um, when people start to put together these architectures, they they dig into uh, trying to create these giant diagrams of these disconnected pieces. Mm-hmm. That is, you know, is a laudable uh, way to go. But often, when you're building Bob's Pizza Shop website, it, it's just <laughs> too right. And that that's really what it, what it comes down to. I'm usually brought into, you know, enterprise uh, customers. Right. Right. They have. 40 people using a web app and they've designed it like they're building uh, Facebook. Nice. And uh, invariably this is, this is just the, the, you know, the huge, the huge part of this, this, this idea that uh, um, um, I was at a unnamed customer, you know, maybe 
two months ago. And they were explaining how they were going to build two tiers of web servers, one for the APIs and one for the web. They're going to firewalls between them. Then they were going to make web calls from one tier to the other. And I was like, are you insane? Are you, ins-? you know, you're going to make web calls mm. from one set of web code to another set of web code, possibly because you want to make sure that they can be in different data centers. Mm-hmm. The, you know, this is invariably the architecture problem is people are, are, are overwhelmed, I think, with, with what they're afraid is going to happen, especially when things are um, uh, internet-facing. And so they tend to, um, you know, belt and suspenders everything so much that it's going to kill them. In in those same projects, I'll, I'll I'll see that, but I'll also see that they're not doing the simple things like uh, encrypting and uh, like one way hashing, insulting passwords. Right? They're right. collecting credit card numbers. They're doing these you know things that are the real dangers, not you know whether someone's going to come in and and uh, and uh, uh, be able to change the the homepage to put you know uh, um, dirty words on it. Right? right. That that's that's not the real danger. The real danger to take down the company is is losing all that data. So incredibly worried about small problems or problems they're making bigger by the things they're doing and ignoring really well-known problems. Yeah, the the forest through the trees problem um, happens quite a lot. Happens quite a well, lot. Part of it, I wonder if it's just the personality of the leads that they go after. You always get a guy who wants to go after a sexy problem and ignore the mundane. Absolutely, absolutely. Or... Uh, what, what seems to happen a lot is that you have, uh, uh, guys that are sort of leading these teams that are really well read. They're keeping up with everything. Therefore, right. every, every problem they see can only be solved by what is new. Right. Don't do it worked last time. Gotta do it this new way because it mm. was in a magazine. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Or it exactly. was on a every- podcast. Did I say that all? Uh oh. Well, no, no. I think the podcasts are a good place to start. But, uh, <laughs> do everything they tell you on a podcast. That's the right Absolutely. thing to do. Well, you know what, though? We, we never say, we ne- listen to this. We never say, never do this and always do that. Did I just say, never say, never? Always say, <laughs> always. Uh-oh. The black hole of podcast talk. No, it's true. We, we, we are, uh, cooler heads prevail. Sometimes our guests try to say you should always do this or you should never do that but we we don't usually buy it no i don't like the one right way only a sith speaks in absolutes (laughs) absolute wait (laughs) love it yeah you're not supposed to let people know you're a sith yeah Um, yeah so you know a a lot of the uh, a lot of the uh um discussions i have with companies around this because uh, in the course, I also talk a bit about you know why code reviews are useful, and especially internal code reviews. And what's interesting is uh, this whole notion of blame versus uh, learning, right? Mm, right. When 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 uh, developers find out you know I'm or anyone else is being brought in to do a code review, there's a sort of fear of I'm going to have to get my code ready for that. Right. Right. Because yeah. they're going to be, you know, whether it's found out or I'm going to find a bug that no one's ever found, which, you know, all that may happen, but who cares? Right. The, the more important piece is what are the lessons across the organization? It, it isn't the one instance of, you know, using uh, magic numbers in your application that really matters. It's to learn uh, is it, it's to teach the rest of the organization to stop doing it. It's it's finding the that you've done it four hundred times and 
that you've wasted, you know, two hours every time it happens than pointing the fingers at the one guy that did it. Well, and I've been in code reviews that went, were really ugly. Like actually taking time to understand someone's code in a code review is hard. Criticizing, yeah. uh, variable names is easy. Mm. It is. It is. Um, and that's, and that's, you know, it's, it's sort of one of those things that, uh, uh, figuring out how to not fall into dogma is, 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 uh, important and hard, right? You know, getting into, you have too many com- uh, comments or not enough comments or why you're using two spaces versus four spaces. That's the easy right. fight to have that isn't helpful. Yeah, you actually, may, I mean, there's a whole conversation here. Maybe we should do in the second half about just actually running a constructive code review. Yeah, that you, you that you get the what you really want from it. Well, what's interesting about that is, uh, I was talking with uh, Rob Windsor on my podcast uh, uh, yesterday, and what we were talking about was this. Uh, you know, we both came from this space before debuggers. So right. we're all, you know, we're both old guys. And, um, but that gave us a skill that, uh, that I really laud in developers. And that is the ability to be able to read code, not just run right. through code, right? Mm. And code review sort of implies that. That I, the importance there isn't that you're going to be able to read code and know exactly what it does. It's that well, you know that the code you're writing, when the new guy comes in, he's going to be able to make sense of it. Sure. If you can't read code and understand what it's, doing if it's not um if it's not that obvious you know sort of the opposite of what you guys were talking about with the favorite code comments it's the opposite of that problem you want it to be super obvious what's going on so that people taking over your code um, can do a good job and certainly there's a couple different kinds of developers out there that i run into there's some developers who are like i want to be working on the new thing so i want to make my code so clear that i'm not the guy that has to maintain this in five years right i don't want to be in that space or they want job security so they write it very obscure yeah that's the other half and that's and that's the half that scares the heck out of me (laughs) (laughs) my code is my job protection i took over some code from some guys years ago and Evidently, he wanted job security because he was using uh, um, uh, uh, double negative Boolean expressions everywhere. So nice. it would go not, not, and not, and, or, and it, it were clearly, you know, you could just, you know, use your, your, your programming algebra to go, I think he just means true. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you pause? That's if this not, game. not. <laughs> yeah. Are you just trying to make it? you know, difficult and, and obscure. Right. And, you know, of course this was the guy who everyone thought was a great programmer because he could develop a lot of code uh, on a case of beer at, at midnight. Hmm. So it m- might've, you know, had other, uh, um, other effects there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe it made more sense after a case of beer. Well, there's also folks that, you know, have a, style about them that is if that makes them look like a great programmer because if you can't understand their code then it's your failure not theirs well that's an interesting point because uh, um one of the things that's fascinated me lately is this whole idea of developer arrogance because Mm -hmm. i i uh, early in my career it really you know and i'm not i'm not to say that i you know have never been 
without arrogance and conversations. It, it certainly happened. But I'm I'm uh, uh, I'm fascinated by the idea of developer arrogance because I don't think it's real. I think it's all facade. I think this, you know, sort of boastful I'm I'm the best developer here sort of thing is almost right. always hiding, you know, the insecurity being found out and the imposter syndrome and all of that. Mm-hmm. And um you know, once you sort of let that go that I can make a mistake, uh, I think things can get really you, know, you can actually work well on a team. You know, this yeah, it's always a question of how long it takes for someone to get some humility. And it's the only way to get that to face plant. Yeah. You know, to just have that complete disaster. Years ago, I, um, I, uh, took, uh, took a job at Developmentor when they were sort of, you know, in their heyday. And, and, uh, I made this decision about becoming a small fish in a larger pond. I'd always been the smart guy in, in the room. And at right. Developmentor, I clearly wasn't, right? There were, you know, Don Box and Cristels and a bunch of guys that I knew were better than me. And um, there was this moment where I was talking with some of the guys and they went, well, I don't know how that works. And I was like, but you're, wait, you're, of course you know how it works. You're the, you know, he goes, well, let's go find out how it works, right? This, <laughs> there was this moment where I got it that I didn't have to know how everything worked all the time. Right. And only by seeing someone else that I really respect to go, you know, I, there's no way I'm going to know everything. Right. Um, for me to really get it. And I think that happens sometimes in these code reviews when they're, when people start to look at, you know, this complexity. I'm, the hope is that people are, are getting from it. One, this is how I can be a better developer. And two, maybe all this, you know, over engineering isn't making me a better developer is the, right. you know. What do you see with dependency injection? I noticed that's on the list. Um, I see lack of it. You know, that's that's the usual big big thing is that a lot of projects don't use dependency injection. But what's interesting is that projects it's become a check mark on projects. Okay, mm-hmm. we're good architecture now that we have it. Oh, good. And then I see it being defeated in a bunch of different ways. Um, you know, where uh, well, we can't figure out the you know sort of circular dependency problem. This needs this, and it needs the thing that it also needs. Mm. Um, until they'll just they'll, they'll just simply defeat it by you know creating new instances of objects and circular and, dependencies, uh, yeah, yeah, and you know maybe thinking about it in a different way or not having dependency or creating you know sort of the third piece that can handle that dependency. It it it, it is uh uh uh. Asking for trouble. Yeah, it just it just it just a uh, um um sort of a uh, a beehive of of problem but you know that that sort of problem of circular dependency which you know i think a lot of developers run into here and there is somewhat of a problem but the bigger one is i know that i need this dependency but i don't want to have to register it i'm sure i'm the only one who will ever need it mm. and you know just try <laughs> try to hide a new inside of a you know inside of a call only to find out later that that new is really expensive. And so not only are you, you know, sort of defeating that dependency chain, Mm. but you're causing perf problems because you're recreating one of these objects over and over again. But isn't the larger issue here that they were told you had to use dependency injection and they never really learned what that meant and how to do it? Or more importantly, why why it's going to help them, right? Mm. Yeah. Uh, If you don't see this as beneficial, then don't do it. mm. Yeah. Yeah, and there are many projects, uh, you know, smaller projects that dependency injection doesn't help, 
right? right. It just adds, adds complexity. I remember talking with uh, some of the PMP people years ago when Windows Phone first came out, and they said, we're getting a lot of requests to you know, get Unity on Windows Phone. And I was like, they do know it's a phone, right? Mm-hmm. They do know that the size of app you're building here has a, a, a logistical limit that dependency injection is interesting here. But I right. don't know that it's adding anything. You just don't have enough, especially in the Windows 7 space, you just don't have enough, you know, horsepower to to do enough that dependency injection is going to help you do your job. Right. There's just not enough room for complexity there to really justify this. Right, right. Whereas in many web projects, it's, you know, many, many times it's it's really, really helpful, you know, especially oh, sure. as a figure. Um, so kind of choo- choosing your battles. Well, because web projects can be sprawling, right? They can't. You just can't sprawl a we- a phone app. No, no. I mean, I've I've I'm sure I've purchased a couple that are sprawling, but for the most <laughs> part, absolutely, absolutely. In the uh, course, I specifically talk about some ASP.NET lessons as well, which is more, you know, I called it ASP.NET. It's more uh, um, uh, ASP.NET plus web. And that is, I see uh, a, a lot of small problems with projects that are trying to be sort of uh, working with the latest cutting-edge browsers without thinking about having to do anything else. So uh, doing things like opting into using the Edge version of the browser renderers and making right. sure you're using the right encoding. You know, uh, I, I'm telling you I'm, um, I'm returning UTF-8 and I'm really returning... Uh, uh, UTF-7 or one of the other encodings. Those sorts of things that can just, they're just so not obvious, but it's something you just need to, you know, you just need to check. Uh, things like embedding CSS and JavaScript on the page are also something that make me just crazy. <laughs> make me just crazy. Um, you know, well, I'll just fix it this once. And that, uh, and that uh, ends up becoming spaghetti code. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. You know what time it is now? Uh, must be that happy time again. Yep. Time to extract the intelligence out of this conversation and inject a little mindless dribble. <laughs> dribble. I love dribble that word. Dribble is a good word. <laughs> it's one of those words that anyway. No, 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 no. It's time to give away a DevExpress D-Experience subscription to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Nice. But first, let's talk about that. Become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an Office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial at devexpress.com slash superhero. Did you ever notice how that little DevExpress UI superhero guy, you know, that kind of looks like a Pac-Man with a cape, kind of yep. looks like Mark Miller? <laughs> Forehead's not big enough. Uh, I know, but he sort of has Mark Miller's, I mean, maybe Miller drew him. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. He has Miller's <laughs> attitude. If it's if you're gonna draw Miller, he ends up being Megamind. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, all right, buddy. Who's our winner? Well, anyway, our winner is James D'Angelo from Hillsboro, Oregon. 
Congratulations, James. Yeah. I'll clap for you, sir. Oh, I heard clappers. Yeah, I got the clappers today. Got the clappers back. Awesome. Yep. So uh, James just won the D Experience subscription from Dev Express. That's a big package of stuff that they give away and uh, good stuff too. And uh, if you don't know what we're talking about, go to .NET Rocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. Every show, we give away great stuff like the D Experience subscription from Developer Express. And every December, we give away $5,000 worth of technology to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Sean Wildermuth, it's your turn. If you had five grand right now, what would you buy? What would I buy? That's a good question. Uh, wow, what would I buy? I'm Technology-wise. Technology-wise. Yeah. If you got an email from me that said, congratulations, you won, you know, pick, go shopping, what do you want? I think I would buy one of those. I think Panasonic makes them. They're a super hardened military grade uh, tablet. The ones oh, yeah. you can just rub sand on the on the Ruggedized. screen and they still work. And, and do you and, remember and, back in the like 2005 road trip, Carl? There was a guy who brought one of those into the RV. I do. And he said, "How rugged is it?" And he winged it down the length of the yeah, RV, just bouncing off walls <laughs> and stuff. And we all jumped out of our seats like, "Holy crap! What are you doing?" It's like, yeah. nope, doesn't care. <laughs> nope. If, if no, you can, no, uh, you're breaking our booze. What are you doing? Watch out for those bottles back there. Yeah. That's a, how I imagine the RV is just booze. It was a booze cruise. No, it was You're wasn't. not incorrect. I think my it really favorite wasn't. tweet in the 2012 road trip was, and then the RV smelled like bourbon. Okay. <laughs> now, come on now. You're, you are putting out there an image that is completely incorrect, number one. And number two... It only smelled like bourbon because my wife opened the freezer where there was the one bottle of bourbon, and it <laughs> fell out onto the floor and crashed and broke, and yes. And, and my tweet was very accurate. The RV smelled like bourbon. And she was actually tending to your sore ankle, wasn't she? Yes, I was disabled. She yeah. was getting a frozen cloth to uh, keep the swelling down. That's right. And then the RV smelled like bourbon. So far from a from, from a booze cruise. Yeah, yeah, most of the time the RV smells like sweat. That's right. <laughs> Although once we went through Kentucky, then we did pick up a few uh, <clears throat> gifts to send yes. home. Yeah. All right. Well, no one can blame me for that. All right. Now, I do, I do, there's a few other little ones in here, like in C Sharp, like magic numbers and strings, you say, you know, just putting in numbers instead of, you know, anything that can be input or in a config file. And those are kind of like, the bad the the easy and simple ones but stuff that i didn't expect to see is like bad i disposable usage i thought the dispose pattern was pretty well known you would think so you would think so so when i talk about bad i disposable usage the the two cases that are are painful is one where they're using disposable objects and just not realizing it or, or ignoring oh, it right yeah. There's a disposable pattern, but they never actually dispose anything. Mm -hmm. They sort of, you know, and you can limp along a long way that way because usually the finalizer is going to clean it up once the garbage collector gets to it. But, you know, that time span can be quite long, especially when you're, you know, depending what, what you're talking about, connections or, or, or other things that need to be disposed. <coughs> Excuse me. The other is is openly defeating it. Right. So, and that is where you're doing a, a, a bunch of um, 
work by using the pattern in the way you think it should be, and then you're returning the object that has eye disposable to someone else. Yeah. And uh, I see that uh, more often than I ever expected to. I'm like, how did this ever work? Because you, you know, <laughs> you've disposed it, and now you're, you know, you're returning it. And somebody is at some point going to use it, trap the error, and then hopefully you're going to notice it, right? Mm. Um, and so, you know, part of it is is to show people the simple way to find out whether something's disposable, right? Because that's the, that's the only real problem with the eye disposable pattern is it's not all that discoverable unless you you know, F12 it down till you see the interface or that you just know, you know, it's often obvious like streams and database connections and things like that, but not everything is. Okay. Um, what about in ASP.NET? And actually, no, let's get to the entity framework stuff. Okay. You, you also uh, mentioned a f- quite a few things with entity framework. I did. Yeah. What, what, what are the problems you see there? Well, the, um, uh, let's talk about the big EDMX problem because this is one that uh, I actually got a lot of pushback from developers, but I'm I'm standing my ground on this. Okay, and that is um, I find a lot of projects that need a you know have uh, a bunch of data, so a lot usually a a data model with lots and lots of tables, and so their solution is to create one. Uh, EDMX file or one uh, 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 EF model that represents their entire database. Now, loading of the EDMX is a there's there's an appreciable cost for it. Uh, There's some caching in later versions of Entity Framework that make that better. But by having one giant model that you're going to use in every case means you're going to pay that startup cost all the time and frankly the overhead of all that metadata. And so the the discussion has always been that you want to use a number of smaller models that are related. And you might even have the same table in multiple um, EDMFs as, the, uh, as you have sort of these sticking points. So okay. if, if, you, if you look at sort of the um, domain-driven design idea, each of these models is sort of that uh, domain space. So if I'm looking at you know, handling customers, customers has a number of pieces in it. I may have customers' orders and order details, and then sort of a link over to the product and inventory system. But having them all in one model gets overwhelming really quick, and and again isn't isn't terribly efficient. That you know that sounds like sort of the classic first time you've used EF. You know you don't really understand what all you're going to need, so you just grab everything. Yep. It, it, it seems like a more mature model to decompose it into areas of concern for given modules in your app. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and you see some of those pain points as as you start to look through uh, through projects is they're not sure what they need and so they just include everything. Even if even if they're well meaning in the beginning where they just pick what they need instead of creating a new model for a new part of a project, they'll simply right. just use the old and 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 plop it in because it it'll in many ways, it'll help them get their job done that day. It'll just cost them later. Minimum thought, right? And, the, and you'll pay yeah. the price later on. Mm. Yeah. Where I suspect when you, you know, when you really get to know an app, and I find I get to know an app about halfway through building it. Sure. Uh, you, you sort of realize, okay, there's like six areas of concern in the data set that really don't have any overlap. And so we could actually have six models, and, and everything would load faster and be lighter and cleaner and easier to maintain. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, the other problem I see in EF that really pains me is uh, lazy loading. 
So EF by default, uh, starting in EF2, decided to uh, turn on lazy loading by default, which at the time I screamed and yelled and, and obviously lost. Then you were not alone, though. That was quite mm-hmm. a stink that people threw up about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, if you're building a WinForms app, lazy loading uh, is pretty elegant and helps you a lot. Uh, the problem is no one does that anymore. And, uh, <laughs> right? For the two guys. Yeah. So with lazy loading, what happens is these objects live way longer than they need to, and we can get these weird side effects. So there's an example I show in the course where, you know, at one point you're just looking at customers and listing customers. And if lazy loading is turned on and you go on the razor page, you're passing over the customer and you start looking at their orders, or let's say just getting a count of their orders, every line in that for each is a trip to the database. Every right. single yeah. line is a trip to the database. And so with lazy learning turned on, there's no way t- for the developer to see that happening. It happens fast enough. Their database is local when they're developing it. They're not sitting on some server so they can look at it. They're, oh, it works. Cool. Let me check it in. Right. But it, it is there any time when lazy loading is a good idea on a web page? That makes no sense to me. No, mm-hmm. no, not to me. Mm. Uh, eager loading all the way, especially when you're dealing with any sort of, you know, developing APIs, developing web pages. It just makes no sense. Yeah, the whole render is going to happen in the duration of that page. So what were you waiting for? <laughs> yeah. And you also, it also means you're going to keep open uh, uh, the possibility of having the database and database objects open for a shorter amount of time. I'm going to get it in the controller, and by the time I'm out of the controller, I'm done with the database. I'm right. never going to go back to it. And so scalability is going to be improved. Yeah. And and I think the point you originally made here, which is the most, uh, I think the most important one, you're going to find out you screwed up early, not late. Yes. If you turn off lazy loading, you're going to find it on the page, oh, I need the orders or the count of orders in order to do this. Let me go fix the original query not right. assume that that original query was wrong or, or was yeah. right. Or that web pages um, just suck. Or right. yeah, razor <laughs> stupid. You know, that, that's the funny part, right? It worked on your machine, then you deploy it, and it doesn't work. You're like, well, that's just stupid. Yeah. Must be Razor's fault. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Not, not the problem between the chair and the keyboard, which is usually the problem. Couldn't be you. You're the smartest guy in the room. Pubcheck. Now, what's interesting about a lot of these code review things is uh, uh, I'm guilty of them just as much as anyone is, right? It's not a, it's not that the smartest guy or the most junior guy is responsible for most of these problems. Right, Everybody right. does these if, if you're not careful. Uh, after doing the course, I went back and I've been doing a lot of work on my, uh, on my personal blog. And I don't use a blog engine. I've, been, I've had custom code for my blog, you know, since pre-classic ASP. Um, and so that's just sort of continued to live on. And I looked around and I was like, oh, there's some magic numbers. There's, you know, one EF model for everything I'm doing. Oh, oh I have CSS embedded on my page. Uh-oh. And so I went back and tried to fix some of that because some of it's, you know, uh, um, uh, can be inferred or can be discovered by people. So I didn't want them seeing the course and went, well, I looked at the JavaScript in your blog and what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Tell me not to do this. Yeah. Uh, you know, what so is that it, about cleaning up your code because somebody's going to review it? Did you talk yeah. about that? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, um, so, you know, I, th- I, th- I think a big part of 
code reviews is 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 trying to improve you know th- there's a slide I have where I talk about what are the four reasons to uh, do code reviews and the last one is to improve the code quality the first right. three are about culture and uh, helping developers be better developers yes. making things obvious you know the the code quality is certainly part of that but to me it's the last important piece the the rest is to is to you know is to encourage learning among developers to break down the sort of um, problem of arrogance, the improve uh, the the um, um, skill level of developers. All that for especially internal reviews is way more important than just finding out that you know you're making this mistake because eventually you'll find that problem and fix it. The uh, the large result set problem. That's yeah. not just an EF thing. That's a that's been a database problem ever since the beginning of time probably access has a lot to do with that (laughs) but just client-side databases in general which is where we all started we think you know we can do that kind that model applies well to me the bigger problem there is that again we're developing uh, let's say we're developing a a a website you know for internal use at an enterprise so the database I'm often using to begin with has my 20 records in it, right? Mm. I'm developing against these, you know, fake 20 records and everything looks good. And then two years down the line, that page that returned 20 records is now returning 10,000. Right. And so the argument here isn't that, you know, the result sets can't be large, but they need to be intentionally large. And so I, I talk about, you know... Uh, including paging and uh, um, limiting from the beginning. I know you have 20 records, but if you you know limit it to 100 records and in 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 add paging, you're not you're not going to run into this accidentally because you suddenly have lots and lots of data because you're going to have to fix it eventually. Mm-hmm. This is you know one of those things you know, and I often find in in, in organizations where they're doing all that paging, but they're not using database paging semantics. They're you know counting. Uh, Results. So they're returning the million records and only showing you the the, the hundred, mm. which makes me even more crazy. Right? You're you're yeah. using all the resources and not you know getting any of the and then checking it out. Yeah, and often unintentionally, right? Oh, I'm doing paging. See, there's the take and the skip, but you're doing it on the result, not in the query, right? Yeah. Right. So it, it's not you know if I ever see take and skip inside the razor page, I know that's a problem. It's too late, right? But it's and, it, and as long as it's testing on a set on a thousand rows, it works like a charm. It works uh, when great. it's a hundred thousand rows or a hundred million rows, a little bit more difficult. A little bit more difficult, absolutely. You know, why are we getting timeouts? Because you know, you think you're only returning a hundred records, you're returning a hundred thousand. Mm. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, let's talk about ASP.NET. Sure. Some of the what's what's the most heinous ASP.NET mistake you see? Well, the most heinous is is uh, is writing code inside of of Razor files to me. So we talk about. Interesting. Uh, I, I like to say markup instead of Razor because obviously this applies to you know ASP.NET web forms as well, and that is when you have a ton of code inside the the markup files that should really be you know in the controller and MVC or in the backend code in uh, uh, web forms. When we're doing lots and lots of you know um, um, markup code, that means that we haven't really thought about the problem, or that 
in solving problems, you felt like this was the quickest way to solve them. Mm. Uh, in, in this kind this, of firefight code, right? It just sort of sticking it here, there, and everywhere. Yep. Yep. And, and sometimes that's what's needed, right? But you need that to do in there to go, you know, come back and make this right once, once the customer is happier, once we've gotten this deployed the first time or, or something. And it, of course, you know, that's no guarantee it'll get fixed, but at least you need to know that this was a temporary fix. And that's, you know, that, 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 that's sort of the problem is, uh, you know, when I code review projects, I don't know whether the code I'm looking at was, you know, done because the sales guys uh, signed a contract and said this is, needs to be done in six days or whether it's been thoughtfully built over four months, right? Right. It's, I, 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 there's no way for me to discern the difference. And uh, so, you know, I have to assume that this is the code you want to live with. Or more importantly, this is the code you're going to have to live with, right? <laughs> this is the code you got. This is what you get. Yeah. Yep. You don't go to servers with the code you have. You go with this. Wait, no, no, that's not the <laughs> quote I want to refer to. <laughs> Ultimately, what code reviews uh, show me is whether you're you're uh, um, dealing with complexity. And I, I kept on using the same um, uh, phrase over and over when I was looking at this stuff, and that is reduce complexity, reduce complexity, reduce complexity. I mean, you know, you have complex problems that have to be solved. So it, we're not talking about everything is simple. But any place that developers, when they're looking at their code, they can reduce the amount of complexity, even if this means they might have to revisit it one day, is almost always the right choice. I right. won't say always, because I know that on this podcast you never say always. But um, Because remember that either you, that you as a developer are going to have to support this code unless you leave the job. So even if you're moved on to some more interesting project, that guy's going to be at your door one day going, what were you doing? I don't understand <laughs> what you were doing. Right? What were you thinking? What were you thinking? There's a... a a gentleman back in Boston that is supporting a MFC email client that I wrote as many years ago as you would write an MFC email client, um, for those of you who remember that. MFC, and yeah. I get an email that it was a good idea. Right. I'm not sure it was a good idea then either, but be that as it may. <laughs> I get an email about once a year, and we're in very good terms, and he's like, I don't know what you were doing. <laughs> I was 26. I don't know what I was doing either. Right. And then we, we laugh a little and then we, you know, we figure it out and then we move on. But it's one of these things that's like, you know, no matter how good you are, code you write today is going to look awful to you tomorrow anyway. Yeah. Right, right. There's very few of us that go, wow, that code I wrote when I was in college, it was just amazing. Yeah, that was awesome so. stuff. <laughs> There's nothing more fun, though, than looking at your own code and going, I don't know what I was thinking. Yeah. Was I drunk again? <laughs> um, are people overusing web API routing? I don't think uh, overusing it. What uh, when a web API two came out, um, and uh, attributed routing came came in, I think everyone heard you should be using attributed routing for everything, and I think that's being overused. Mm, right. I sort of advocate this case of uh, it's the exceptions, and the route table are the rules. Right. Right. Um, because I get a lot of people come in and go, I can't figure out how to do this thing, and I'm having to repeat this a bunch of times. How do I do it with routing? Well, you do it without routing. 
I mean, you do it without uh, attributes. Right. Attributes are one of those things in general in C Sharp that are a really good idea, except when they're used, right? <laughs> they're a good idea, just don't practice them, yeah. You know, nice. every time I find a new technology that's based purely on attributes, uh, uh, you know, the whole validation stuff uh, based on attributes and all of that, it looks really sexy. And then invariably, it just kills me every time. Um, so it's one of those things that I'm like, oh, adding metadata is really cool until you try to base your system completely on metadata. Mm-hmm. And then, and then you're just, you know, you're screwed. Mm. <laughs> it's just not that cool. No, no, no. Uh, uh, I, uh, earlier in my career, I spent a lot of time. There was this period when it seemed like every company wanted to build everything out of uh, inverted databases and everything was m- metadata driven and that would fix everything. Mm-hmm. And it just, you know, makes every query to the database four million lines long because right, they're, right. you know, there is no way to actually do a simple join. Everything is a you know four hundred joins together and inner joins and and uh, um, you know um, recursive joins. And uh, it, it did the opposite of what everyone thought. And so every time I, I think about you know metadata driven anything, I'm brought back to that point of this feels like a good idea, but I'm not sure it is. Mm. And uh, um, you know, web API uh, attributes. Um, attributed routing, I think, is a really good idea, except when it's overused, like anything. Right. It's true of everything. You, one, you, you, you figure out that hammer, and then you, everything's a nail. Yep. All right, one more ASP.NET nastiness. Uh, I think, uh, uh, I don't know whether I would call it nastiness, but not using CDNs for libraries makes me crazy. Now, CDNs, content delivery networks, Mm-hmm. Um, are a way that most websites should be using these commonly uh, used Google and Microsoft, and there's some others, for delivering uh, jQuery and Angular and you know a number of these bootstrap of uh, very common libraries. And the idea behind it is that uh, uh, browsers you know aggressively cache uh, JavaScript and CSS for us. And if we go to a website that is already using a large library like Angular or or jQuery. Why should I have to pull it from your server, right? Reparse it and then recache it. And so by using right. CDNs, you're going to get this benefit of much um, um, speedier startup time on your website for virtually free, and you're using someone else's bandwidth. So yeah. you know, win win. <laughs> yeah, it's just an easy win. It's a very easy win. Very easy win, and and you know there I show in the course how to do you know fallback. So if for some reason the Google CDN went down, which I don't I remember it doing that, but it happens, mm. then it'll fall back and we'll grab it from your server anyway. And and so worst case, uh, uh, you don't have a, someone else a single point of failure, you know, right. disturbing your code. Well, Sean, uh, it's been great talking to you. Anything else that you want to mention? Anything that you're going to be talking about or new courses coming up on Pluralsight or anything? I don't have any new uh, courses to mention. I do want to plug my uh, my podcast, which yeah. Richard was, you know, so gracious to, uh, to be on, and we haven't gotten you on yet, but I'm sure that'll happen soon. Yeah, that's definitely going to happen soon. Tell us about it. It's called the Hello World Podcast. Uh, it's uh, telling stories about how people got started in uh, software development, uh, first computer, first language, first job, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, it's a lot of fun to do. That's awesome. Well, I can't wait to be on it. 
Yeah, I, I think you'll. I think you'll be great, unless you have a boring story. <laughs> uh, I don't know. That's up for the listeners to decide, I guess. <laughs> as always, as always. All right, you can man. find the podcast at uh, um, hwpod.com. Fantastic. Thanks, Sean. Awesome. Thanks a lot, guys. We uh, we always love talking to you, and we'll talk to you, dear listener, next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a...